0: The CNBC app. Global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights. All in your hands. Stay connected. Stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning everybody. This is Squat Box. Welcome to the program. Let's get into your headlines. Conflicting messages around progress on a U.S.-China trade deal ahead of high-level talks today while Asian stocks and U.S. futures recover some losses, as sources tell CNBC a report that discussions have broken down is inaccurate. Minutes from the Fed September meeting reveal policymakers were worried the trade war would drag on the U.S. economy when they voted to cut rates last
1: month.
2: Turkey launches an offensive in Syria against U.S. allied Kurdish forces days after President Trump called American troops out of the region.
3: Louis Vuitton owner LVMH delivers a third quarter sales beat citing strong performance in the U.S., Europe and Asia despite the Hong Kong protests.
0: So, very good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Thursday edition of Squawk Box, and we kick off with speculation around this trade story. U.S. futures are raising some losses after a White House official told CNBC that a report saying China's trade delegation would cut short its trip to Washington was inaccurate. The South China Morning Post had said talks were deadlocked over forced technology transfers, prompting an early end to discussions. Meanwhile, the New York Times says President Trump will offer a concession on Huawei, allowing some U.S. firms to sell non-sensitive goods to the Chinese company. Well, let's kick it out to Steve and find out how the markets are Good setting morning, up. Good morning, Geoffrey. How are Good you? Good morning. Very well. I haven't Thank
2: worked with you. you for over two weeks. Amazing. Has that it? been a blessing for you? Uh, for both of <laughs> us, I suspect. It's lovely to see you back with Karen Good. and myself as well. Look, I'm trying to think of metaphors always when I get to this stage at the top of the market. And, and, and I'll tell you, I drive into work every day and I drive out of work sometimes. And when I'm thinking about other things, sometimes I may guiltily go over an amber light. And then, if I get a blue flashing light behind me when I've gone over that amber light, then starts the discourse about, well, it was opaque. I didn't actually know it was going to go green or I didn't know it was going to go red. So you were kind of stuck in that middle bit. There was a guy right up behind me. So I carried on going. You know, all the usual excuses uh, with the Metropolitan Police and others as well. And this is the point about the markets at the moment. I think they are opaque. Uh, And hence, I think in Jeffrey's uh, reads there, no clear signal. That's my amber light for these markets at the moment. Because if you look at these indices, yes, they are mildly positive. But quite frankly, I could be talking about exactly the same stories we saw in the headlines, but they would be mildly negative as well. It's, it's the same with, with the safe haven story as well, if we can pull that up as well, looking at some of these safe haven assets as well. I mean, we look at the Swiss, we look at gold, uh, the yen, the dollar, it's arguable, which is the safe haven amongst those, of course, uh, and the 10-year note as well. Well, no clear signal. And I'll just go through a few of the no clear signals. Well, one, of course, uh, is what Jeffrey just said uh, about... Asian um, concerns about the growth story there, about US and Chinese trade situation, about the US data yesterday as well. Did you see the jolts numbers? Again, no clear signal. Did you see the Fed minutes? No clear signal. Earnings season. We just don't know yet, do we, how this season's going to go? The the normal mantra is they call it down. And miraculously, around about two thirds of companies, certainly in the S&P 500, beat expectations. So the market is looking for a signal. And why that's very important this time of year, <clears throat> well, you kind of know why it's important this time of year. We're in October. We're at that time of year where markets historically uh, have either had an extraordinary wobble or or have actually begun the, the Christmas holiday season Santa rally uh, a little bit earlier as well. So you've got this very, very mixed picture at the moment. And I think investors are incredibly confused. Opening course, European indices, they look like This. I should say, of course, in in the session ahead, we're also looking at the key data of the week, and that is Consumer Price Index out of the United States. But there is no doubt, front and foremost is the the Trans-Pacific. War, trade war story, trans-Pacific terrorist protection. Are the talks going to go well? Are the talks going to be elongated or cut short again, potentially? There is only one person who, who can tell us what's going on in Beijing, and that is the wonderful Eunice. Good morning to you, Eunice. Now, how are you, and where where do you want to take the story?
4: Oh, well, you said that the markets were looking for some signals, can they settle for some confusing signals? Because that's actually what we've been getting um, around the trade talk story. Uh, you guys had mentioned the New York Times uh, had mentioned uh, the, uh you mentioned the New York Times. and the, the New York Times has been reporting that President Trump had a meeting last week and gave the green light to approve some of the licenses that would allow American suppliers of components to Chinese tech giant Huawei. And this is um, um, despite the fact that the Trump administration had deemed. Named Huawei a national security risk, so um, that seemed encouraging to some investors that maybe a deal could be done. And also, the White House had dismissed a report by the South China Morning Post that uh, deputy-level officials weren't able to make any progress and were going to pack their bags and go home one day early um, from Washington. Um, The uh, you know the the sticking point there, according to the South China Morning Post, it was that the Chinese didn't want to um, even entertain the idea of discussing forced technology transfers, which has been a very core demand of the U.S. Um, And and then at the same time, uh, the the report had said that the Americans uh, wouldn't budge on um, something that's a priority for Beijing, and that is lifting the tariffs. So uh, expectations going into these discussions have been very low. And in fact, the Global Times, which is a Communist Party paper today, um, put out a comment saying that the uh, that saying that um, it believed that uh, there weren't going to be any pleasant surprises, it said uh, from these trade talks. Now, uh, President Trump had addressed some of these um, uh, some of this discussion about how expectations were so low, uh, saying that he wasn't so surprised. This is what he said.
5: I think they feel that um, I'm driving a tough bargain, but I have to. So, and I told that to President Xi. I said, you know, this can't be like a 50-50 deal. Because a 50-50 deal, you're, like, up there. We're down here. So, a 50-50 deal, it doesn't work, right? You got to have a little balance. This has to be a better deal from our standpoint. And I think they fully understand it
4: and a senior administration official told CNBC that the dinner that was planned for the Chinese delegation on Thursday night is still on which would suggest that things are going ahead as planned uh but maybe the team should should uh, you know prepare the food for for takeout or I don't actually don't know what you would say in London if you would call it takeout or to go or you know, pack things up really quickly in case you need to get on a plane back to Beijing one day earlier
0: yeah, before we go down the rabbit hole of whether it 's takeaway take out or something else um just to come <laughs> just to come Eunice just to come back to your point here um, this trade negotiation has been going on for some time now, and around it, the policy environment has been worsening, it seems to me. Now, in in diplomatic language, there is a theory called linkage where you tie together political and security issues to try and gain progress on both areas. In recent weeks, we've had this NBA spat blow up. We've heard the Chinese talk about restricting US citizen access in terms of giving out visas to people that have expressed anti-Chinese views on social media. We've got the whole issue of, of the Uyghurs, which is flaring up now, it seems to me, and what's happening in Xinjiang and how the State Department reacts to that. All of this is establishing further friction for some successful negotiation here. Is there a a risk that ultimately this dinner now becomes bogged down in not matters of trade, but other issues that previously were unconnected, but now appear to be linked to progress between these two countries?
4: Yeah, well, I think there's definitely a risk, and a lot of people have been talking about whether or not um, what we're seeing is is a forming of decoupling of these two economies, or if this is uh, just we're on the brink of a, another type of cold war. Uh, you had mentioned all of those um, different um, developments, such as the visa restrictions um, and the like, and uh, you know that a lot of the discussion here is that uh, this is a very peculiar approach uh, from the Trump administration when it comes to China, because a lot. Lot of China experts believe and who have been following uh, the way China behaves uh, is that 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 uh, the, the government here just doesn't like to um, even be to, to be seen as as weak or to be um, ma- to give up any concessions um, when they are publicly being pressured so uh, uh, actually the Commerce secretary uh, Wilbur Ross was saying that uh, the tariff approach is one that the Trump administration thinks actually works because at least it 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 um, Uh, shakes things up a bit and gets uh, China's attention. But the big question is is really whether or not uh, this approach is is effective in trying to get together and um, two economies that are not really going anywhere and at the end of the day are going to have to find some way forward um, to work together.
0: Eunice, thank you very much indeed for that. We'll leave you to go and collect your takeout, or maybe you can have it delivered by one of the various uh, delivery services this morning. So so what have we learned from the off on the programme, apart from the fact that Steve likes to run red lights or almost, Amber. Amber. almost... The other big uh, red light story, of course, is the the analogy that people constantly use about the global economy. The red lights are flashing Mm. on the control panel to indicate that maybe the spaceship is going to crash or there is some problem holding it all together here. And that's the other issue, of course, isn't it? That this sensitivity that we've got around the trade story is but one part of a broader story about manufacturing and service sector data that just continues to deteriorate at this point. Mm,
3: I think your analogy about, about Stephen, the way he drives his car, is quite similar to investors. You know, the foot very much on the pedal. But a lot of investors <laughs> have I'm been taking that
2: right foot now. off.
3: Perhaps time just to ease back a little bit. And that's what some investors, at least in Europe, have been doing with this trade conflict. They've been taking a little bit of risk off the table, keeping some powder dry, drive, putting a little bit of money in cash. U.S. investors, are not entirely convinced, are the same. And if you look at some of the sensitivity markets, there is a risk that if we get some bad news, we could go back to some of the May lows that we had on the Dow that we witnessed this year, even lower levels from when we started out the year. However, on the other side, if there is good news to uh, respond to around a trade outcome, you've got the upside potential because we have just drifted a little bit off some of those highs on markets. So we could go back to the July levels that we saw or even back to uh, what we witnessed in September. So there is upside potential. What I would say from some of the news flow overnight, very conflicting reports that the Chinese have, have lowered their expectations. Maybe the dinner is not going to lead to another day of talks. The next day won't be two days of talks. Yet there could be a glimmer of hope around Huawei. And this is a huge issue if these licenses are granted to US companies to allow Huawei to do business. That's a major breakthrough on the technology side. So my point is what do the algorithms do with that? I, I, very I think, conflicting comments. Here, it's very
2: interesting you should go there. <laughs> I was going to make two points, and that's one of them as well, is that we're talking very rational about rational investors making rational decisions on, hopefully, um, less opacity when they get less opacity. And, and the fact of the matter is, talking in the oil market, as I was yesterday with a lot of the, the, the key players down there as well, you know asking them on and off the record what they think about prices and look it's not necessarily the rational actors who you think are in control of the price it's the machines and the, the machines can create momentum one way or t'other and then of course the momentum investors come on the back of what the algos have done suddenly you've got a, a, a two very strong forces momentum traders plus algorithmics are pushing the oil price in one direction or t'other so we must remember that in the equities and bond markets as well those are the same forces at work the other point i wanted to make was that the very great Jim Cramer who, uh, of Mad Money, our colleague in the States, and I don't know if you follow him on Twitter, but apart from tweeting about dogs and food and, and, and American sports, which I don't understand the, the last, that's for sure, the former two I do understand, uh, he, he makes some great tweets. He, he, very, very good on Twitter. Can we stop the trade talks are going well stuff? How much money is going to be lost on this? And, and I think the point Jim's making there as well is that every time someone opens their mouth about trade, and dare I say it, namely the president as well, good or bad people are trading vast amounts of money on the back of this that is very tough for a lot of individuals again call one way or other on the back of perhaps not the most concise comments and let's just remember that the backdrop to this is
0: a 30 year cycle in which the bond markets have only given ultimately interest rates now are at these uh, super low levels where central banks are finding it hard to come up with further ammunition. I guess the question, setting aside some of the geopolitical risk issues for investors, the, the, the question going forward, it seems to me, is can this cycle be rescued by the central banks before we ultimately roll into the recession that many would argue perhaps we should have had after the great financial crisis of 08, 09. And it remains to be seen, I think. Um, we're going to talk about this a lot through the rest of the morning, what the Federal Reserve mm. has available to it in terms of turning what appears to be gradually deteriorating well, data into well. better data. But the, the, if you look at the longer cycle work, it, it does feel as though you know, there is a reckoning to be had at some stage.
2: I mean, just briefly, something else is happening as well. And I can see on the front <laughs> page of the FT again today, um, people looking at QE and going, Really? Because when it was just a few voices in the wilderness, now there seems to be a chorus, and I don't know if it's just happened suddenly in the last few weeks. But I mean, again, front page FT: Draghi ignored in-house ECB advice on QE restart. Central bankers used to be given a break for, for pumping the markets. Now they're actually getting a little bit of heat for it. And I think the two way argument is very healthy.
3: Yeah, De Guindos, though, yesterday saying don't expect them to change course. And don't forget, those have been you know, the big questions in the room whether Lagarde does change policy action at some point, given the pushback on negative yields. However, the message seems to be that the ECB course has been set for now. I would just say around positioning, and Jeff, you make the point about central mm. banks stepping in. What was interesting in the trade yesterday was seeing technology again out in front. You step back and say, well, why are people buying technology at this point? And what is the argument for this risk area of the markets? And I guess the view is that if you've got a central bank cutting... Then lower interest rates is good for very strong growth sector like technology. Even in recession, you're still forced to to keep chasing growth. And does technology continue to perform on that growth metric as well? So perhaps that's the argument for. It. But I did think it was very odd trade because you also had energy trading higher yesterday in lockstep. So if you think that there's going to be a slowdown globally or a recession of some sort of yeah, forced action by central banks, then yeah. what is the argument for energy other than geopolitics, which nobody has really factored in very much anyway? So yeah, it's a little you, bit odd but trade. Did you
2: see the- Goldman Sachs stuff. Like You talk about technology being this great kind of you know, driver potentially. Good Goldman Sachs. On CNBC.com actually and the story is Goldman Sachs analyst covering Apple says consumers won't notice much difference in 5G phones. It was a great story. And you know, we'll be being sold 5G as this great 21st century invention but you've got some very eminent people saying yeah, you're not going to see it. Just um, and just back to your point about the
0: central banks, I think that's very interesting. Uh, there's a terrific book called Lords of Finance, I don't know whether you've read it, about no, the, this to me, the yeah. experience of bankers in the 1920s mm. and ultimately how they went from hero to villain. And, you know, as we look at the 90-year anniversary of the 29 crash, people, again, are beginning to wonder just how this all works out.
2: Well, which, which comes back to the book that you and I have both... Um, participated and I've listened to it in the car, you read it, uh, about the very 21st century crash. I've recommended it to you Ken, The Mandibles by Lionel Shriver. It's about pretty much a depression in this century isn't it?
3: It's quite terrifying. Just got to get through Stephen Schwartz's book. We'll do, we'll book do that again. Oh, yeah, Steve Schwartz's <laughs> book. I just started reading on, it. Yeah. So it's very good. Hmm. Coming up on the show, airstrikes and uh, ground offensive uh, signal the beginning of a Turkish military operation in Syria. We'll have more after the break.
2: And I'm told this week's uh, podcast, today's one, is very, very good. So uh, if you can't get enough, of the Scorebox. Uh, Be sure to tune in to Jeff's very own podcast. It's called Squallbox Europe, the daily podcast. It's on Apple.com, CNBC.com, Spotify.com, wherever you get your dot coms, you can find it and listen to today's episode. It's very, very good.
0: A CNBC signature event.
2: Welcome back. Turkey has begun its incursion into northeastern Syria, launching airstrikes and a ground operation in a new phase to the eight-year-old war. The UN Security Council is set to hold an emergency meeting today, whilst the Arab League will gather on Saturday to discuss the situation. Meanwhile, in the US, President Trump has been strongly criticised by members of his own parties actually, for abandoning Kurdish allies by pulling American troops from the region. But the president
5: defended the decision. The Kurds are fighting for their land, just so you understand. They're fighting for their land. And as somebody wrote in a very, very powerful article today, They didn't help us in the Second World War. They didn't help us with Normandy, as an example. They mentioned names of different battles. They were there, but they're there to help us with their land. And that's a different thing. In addition to that, we we have spent tremendous amounts of money uh, on helping the Kurds in terms of ammunition, in terms of weapons, in terms of money, in terms of pay. With all of that being said, we like the Kurds. Hadley joins us from Abu Dhabi. Hadley,
2: there are many things in life I don't understand. Um, Maybe you can add some clarity. I don't understand why the president referenced uh, the campaign in Normandy in 1944 in relation to the Kurds.
1: A bigger question would be: This is a president who attacks the New York Times on a pretty regular basis, and apparently that was an article in the New York Times where he is getting that quote. So that's another one of those big life questions. But I want to actually draw your attention to a tweet. So much that the president says um, is up for serious dispute, as you guys know, in terms of fact checks. But one thing uh, that I was caught my eye was a tweet from him uh, in the early hours of my morning, which is this one: "The U.S. has spent quote eight trillion dollars fighting and policing the Middle East. Thousands of our great soldiers have." or been badly wounded. Worst decision ever made in the history of our country. He goes on to say, uh, we went to war under false pretenses when it comes to mass destruction, to weapons of mass destruction, and there were none. Focus should be on the big picture. The U.S. is greater than ever before. Now, when you talk to people here in this region about what exactly the United States' role is today in the region and should be going forward, there are serious questions that have been going back even to the Obama administration about whether or not the United States is really a reliable ally. And if you just really look at the history there, I mean, we had the red line in Syria that Obama uh, failed to uh, take action on. And then we also now have uh, what we've seen over the last few months in the summer in the Persian Gulf, for example, with these attacks on tankers and the failure of the U.S. president um, to really go after uh, Tehran. When it came to that downing of the drone, I mean, it really does seem oddly enough pretty consistent that the U.S. president in the middle of an election cycle would not be willing uh, to put American lives at risk or lives on the line. However, as you guys very well know, Russian President Vladimir Putin making a major uh, state visit just a few days from now, not just to Saudi Arabia, but also here in the UAE. And the question, of course, going forward is what kind of international support the Turks are going to have with this kind of a safe zone. A safe zone that they've been talking about creating with various other uh, members of these coalitions, uh, the anti-ISIS coalition for a long time now. They say they need it to uh, help themselves with these three and a half million refugees. Uh, The international community already in the last 24 hours coming out with some pretty strong condemnation. Certainly, British, French and German officials uh, are totally against this this. What I thought was also interesting, um, we heard a comment from the EU where they essentially said, if you're going to create a safe zone in Syria, don't expect any of us uh, to be willing to pay for that. Also, the NATO secretary general essentially is coming out and saying um, not too much, obviously watching his words there, but saying that the Turks have to be extremely careful about how they do this going forward. And so I think all eyes will be on whether or not uh, Turkey does commit the atrocities that so many uh, folks feel may in fact be impending uh, on the Kurds and whether or not Really, this boxes the United States out of the region even further in terms of their policy, guys.
0: Hadley, we're going to wrap it up with you. Thanks very much indeed uh, for helping us out on that one. We'll come back to you a little bit later on in the programme. Let's switch tack and talk a little bit about the Federal Reserve. At the last policy meeting, some policymakers sounded concerns over expectations for the central bank's rate path after the FOMC cut borrowing costs for a second straight month. Minutes from the September meeting show, quote, a few participants worried that futures markets were pricing in greater accommodation than appropriate. Meanwhile, trade was mentioned 28 times, highlighting worries over the U.S.-China tariff war. Growth concerns also highlighted, with policymakers voicing their worries, that a slowdown could be more serious than projected. Well, at an event in Kansas City, Fed Chair Jerome Powell said he wanted to temper market estimates. More firmly Anchored expectations in a virtuous circle would help keep actual inflation around our target, thus preserving our ability to change interest rates as appropriate to meet our mandate. We're also looking at whether our existing monetary policy tools will be adequate when the next downturn comes. Finally, we're asking whether our communications practices can be improved to better support the effectiveness of our policy. Well, Minutes also showed several participants thought the FOMC should provide guidance on accommodative policy due to tariff concerns. However, that language was left out of the Fed's final statement after it cut rates in September. Um, We've kind of run out of time in this half to talk too much about this, but I will just throw in that the jobs data continues to be supportive.
3: Right, but if you've got a bunch of members worried about tariffs and we don't get any outcome this week, then that sets the scene potentially for investors to watch out for that meeting on the 29th and 30th from the Fed. Expectations are out there. So does the Fed deliver at this point and then hold back in 2020?
0: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to
2: cnbc.com.